Welcome back to another episode of the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast. I am Allison Dagny, your host, and today I am going to be bringing you a pop-up episode because today is October 1st and it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So it's really important to me to raise awareness about emotional abuse, hidden abuse, narcissistic abuse, All of these things are very important to me because I didn't know for the longest time that I was experiencing what I was experiencing in my marriage. And if I can help someone else identify these things and be able to show them that they are being abused or that these are signs or um, indicators that they may be struggling with emotional abuse, then I have done my part. So today I'm going to be talking about how to repel a narcissist, right? Because a lot of times people talk about, um, and I hear this a lot, people say things like, oh, I attract narcissists. So I'm always attracting the same kinds of people. So maybe that you feel that's a pattern for you. So let's talk about how to repel a narcissist. Welcome to the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast, a podcast specifically designed to help you heal after a toxic or narcissistic relationship. This podcast teaches you to use your subconscious mind to go from feeling stuck to set free. In here, you will learn how to use the power of your own mind to free yourself from emotional pain, move forward with confidence, and experience the inner peace you deserve in your healing journey after emotional abuse. I'm your host and subconscious reprogramming coach, Allison Dagny. So let's get started. Okay, so the first thing I want to say right out of the gate is this. We only have control over what goes on inside of us, right? We can have influence over the things that happen in our lives, outside of us, the people that we speak to, the ways that we talk to people. You know, we have control over how we feel and we have control over our actions and we may even have influence, right? But the point of this entire episode is going to be about healing yourself, building your self-confidence and making sure that what's going on inside of you is repelling the stuff that you don't want. So what a better way to do that, right? By getting right with what's going on inside of you. You know, a lot of people think that if only other people would be nice to me, if only everybody else would just do what I think that they should do, if only everybody else would treat me how I want them to treat me. And I'm here to tell you that that kind of thinking can oftentimes keep you stuck and If you are so focused on what other people are doing and how other people are showing up and how other people are making you feel, then what happens is you may be expressing an energy of need or lack in a certain type of way. And that kind of energy, other people pick up. Okay, so this isn't just about being a human being, right? It's much, much deeper than that. We have a lot of energy. We have micro expressions. We have behaviors. 
we have a lot of complexities as to who we are, not only as the human being that we are, but also in our soul and in our personality. And so all of these things impact the world around us. And we are also impacted by the world around us. So I want to make sure that when you leave this episode today, that you are fully equipped to knowing exactly what you need to do in order to repel a narcissist. So that means the first thing that we have to do is understand narcissism and narcissistic relationships. Now, this can also um, be a toxic relationship. It can be emotional abuse. Maybe you've never dealt with a narcissist. And if you haven't, then I am very, very, very happy for you. Um, But there's still an element of toxicity, um, even for people that are not technically or labeled or diagnosed narcissists, okay? So narcissism is really highly misunderstood by a lot of people. And unfortunately, um, a lot of people will label someone who's toxic a narcissist immediately. Like, oh, they're so toxic, they're a narcissist. Or if someone is selfish, they'll label that person a narcissist. Or if someone seems to um, be entitled or something like that, which is negative for people who've actually experienced a true narcissist or somebody with high narcissistic traits because what happens is it kind of gets watered down and everybody's a narcissist and guess what if everyone's a narcissist then no one's a narcissist so psychology really defines this um, in a way that has this really high sense of entitlement and um, a lack of empathy. So both of those things together. Um, someone who with, has high narcissistic traits typically has a strong need for admi- admiration and um, it's a personality disorder. So there are the thing that's important to know about this, there are so many different layers of narcissism. Um, there's labels, there's covert, there's overt, there's somatic, there's all different kinds of narcissism out there. And even being in victim mentality, like highly victim mentality, is your ego showing up and can be highly narcissistic. So that doesn't mean that you're out there hurting other people, but you are possibly hurting yourself. So narcissism can exist on a spectrum. There can be people, you know, a lot of people, there's a, I don't know, like some sort of debate that Some people say everyone has narcissistic traits, and I truly believe that is true because we have to survive, Um, and looking out for yourself is a way that your brain and your body has kept you alive, and it doesn't mean that you are out there hurting other people. That's where I want to distinguish the difference here because there are people who are highly narcissistic who are only out for themselves and will run over anyone in their way in order to get what they need. So when I explain this to people and I'm talking about narcissism, the one thing I like them to understand is that narcissists are like a bucket with holes in it. And they need to fill that bucket up every single day when they wake up. So they need to take that bucket to the well, dip it in the well, and fill it up. That is their emotion, okay, because they don't have empathy and they don't have um, the same way of accessing emotions that most people do. So what happens is that bucket with holes starts to leak 
And so as it starts to leak and empties out, they have to get more and more and more somewhere else. So they have to keep dipping that bucket into the well. Well, typically where they get that is from their victims. So someone who is highly empathetic, who's extremely giving, who is self-sacrificing, um, and maybe you can identify with this. I certainly can. And the reason why I like to bring this up is because it helps you understand that the narcissist is doing whatever they can do to fill that hole inside of themselves, right? So if they wake up every single morning with this like gaping hole, they're going out to try to get that to fill up. So if they're going to the grocery store and they yell at the cashier, that helps fill that bucket up for them. If they go to a work meeting and are really charismatic and charming and make everybody laugh, that's filling up their bucket, right? So if they are abusing people, that fills up their bucket. Making someone cry, filling up the bucket, right? So they're on this quest, this unending quest every single day of their life to fill up the bucket. So that's why I think it's important to understand um, narcissism from the from the perspective that they are trying to fill a need within themselves and take the emphasis off of who specifically they are hurting because it's not about you. It never has been about you and it never will be about you. It's all about them filling this need inside of themselves. So that's why it's really important not to take it personally because when you're in that relationship and that is happening, that's what we do. We take it personally. There must be something wrong with me and I can't do anything right and I'm not enough, right? But let's kind of peel that back and look at it in a different light, right? It's not about you. They'll do it to whoever. It doesn't matter. They're just trying to fill the hole, that gaping hole inside themselves. Now, it's also really important to understand that narcissists will present themselves in different ways to different people. And if you have experienced somebody that is physically abusive, that um, is overtly, meaning very obviously abusive, that is easier to detect. And if you've experienced someone who is more on the hidden side or overt or covert, I mean, um, that is way harder to detect. So these might be people who are really nice to everybody that they meet, they're giving, maybe they go to church a lot or philanthropists or um, very charming, but are also maybe very manipulative or controlling behind closed doors. These might be people who continually gaslight you or um, give you the silent treatment when they're not getting their way, things like that, right? So they're harder to detect because if somebody punches a wall, right, it's like, oh my gosh, you're abusive. Or if somebody physically harms you, then you know, right? But if somebody isn't doing these other things and they're sort of falling under the radar, those are a little bit harder to detect. So um, but like I said in, earlier, there is a spectrum. There is levels of how this presents itself. Now, when you are in a relationship with a narcissist, now, I don't want to like isolate from like, because I know people have been ex- uh, experiencing narcissism from a very young age, from their own parents or family members, siblings, um, things like that. 
I'm going to sort of focus on the emotional abuse and the narcissistic abuse in a romantic relationship because that's what I'm really familiar with. Um, but the impact that this has on victims is so profound because you lose your identity, you start to doubt yourself, you may have really, really, really low self-worth, uh, you are living in anxiety and fear much of your life, um, and may not have really good boundaries, uh, may ha show up as codependent behaviors, things like that. So you may have never experienced a narcissist in your life, but as soon as you do, then these kinds of traits will start to present themselves. So then what happens is, let's fast forward. Let's say we get out of the narcissistic relationship, we escape, we are um, away from them, and now we're feeling like these things are still there. We're still experiencing these things, right? We're still experiencing anxiety and triggers and fears and trust issues and self-doubt and all of this stuff, right? It's still there. So how are we going to repel a narcissist, right? If we have low self-worth, that's going to be really difficult. The next narcissist that comes into our life, if we don't trust ourselves and we're doubting ourselves, then we're going to be running these questions through our head like, oh, well, maybe they're not a narcissist or, oh, maybe this wasn't that bad or, oh, maybe it wasn't um, love bombing, right? So the, the core here is to get really solid on who you are and heal those wounded parts of yourself so that you go into the next relationship or any relationship, right, to be able to make sure that this doesn't happen to you again. And that's the goal. And here's the thing that I want to tell you. So in my coaching program, when I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, I don't give this kind of advice. I don't say, oh, this is what you need to look for, and this is what love bombing looks like, and this is how you need to set boundaries, and this, I don't do that. Because I know that if you don't get what's going on inside of your subconscious mind, if you don't get that right, it won't matter anything that I say. It won't matter if I tell you to set good boundaries. It won't matter if I tell you what to look out for. If you don't trust yourself, if you don't have a, a um, strong self-worth, if you um, are still believing specific types of things in your subconscious mind, it doesn't matter what I tell you. It won't matter the advice that I give you because you'll still be operating on that autopilot of what's going on in your subconscious mind. I also believe that it's really important to be armed with information, to know who you're up against when we're dealing with people with high narcissistic traits. That's also very important, right? Because you, if you don't know what to look out for, then obviously you will be more likely to end up in a relationship like that again. However, you're just as likely to be able to end up in a relationship like that again if you haven't worked with your subconscious mind, if you haven't gotten to the source and to the root of the reason why these behaviors continue to show up, right? So repelling the narcissist is actually all about getting to your subconscious mind and working through the things that are keeping you from being able to set healthy boundaries, from being able to say no, from um, not being able to trust yourself, um, to get rid of, rid of the self-doubt. So all of this starts in one place, and that's your subconscious mind.
It was funny because the other day I posted in my Facebook group and asked people if this would be a topic that they would like. And I don't remember who it was. It might have even been one of my clients. Um, or somebody wrote, we need something like a spray or like a bear spray. And it was funny and lighthearted and we were kind of joking around about it. But unfortunately, none of that exists. And the power originates inside of you. So the absolute number one thing, the first thing you have to do is you have to be aware. You have to be aware of what is going on inside of yourself. Now, a lot of people think that they're aware or a lot of people think that just by um, thinking about things in their head that they're aware. But I'm telling you, if you don't put this stuff on paper or you don't talk to other people about it and you're just kind of swirling it around in your head and you're not questioning the things that are swirling around in your head, typically what's going to happen is you're going to be on a continuous loop, a pattern that has not actually been um, stopped in its tracks. And that's the goal here. We need to be aware of what's going on inside of us, number one. So you might be asking, well, how do I do this? The way I do it is I get out a piece of paper and I journal it out. And if you're like, oh, I hate to journal. I don't like journaling and journaling is so boring, right? Some people love it. I like it because I am a writer. Some people don't like it then maybe voice note yourself. Um, You can do that on your phone very easily. You might also, you know, when you're talking to a friend about it, maybe take notes, like get on the phone with your friend or your best friend, your mom or whoever. And when you're talking about it, just take notes because what you will see, the patterns will emerge on paper. And it's harder to see these things and be aware when they're just swirling in your head. So that's what I do, and if you haven't done this before, I highly recommend that you give it a try. Now there's a lot of other things that you can do to help increase your awareness like of yourself and what's going on. Mindfulness practices, you can talk to a therapist um, and do your own kind of like self-healing and self-discovery through reading books and things like that. And that a lot of times will bring up revelations or help you connect dots and understand what's going on inside of you. So all those things can be really helpful. And because of the emotional abuse that's happened to you, it's going to be really important to pick up on the things that come up either in the journaling or the voice noting or the therapy sessions to address the negative self-talk, to pick out the things that are so negative. So look for words like I can't or I won't or anything that's like really judgmental. Um, The judgment is actually important because it gives us um, a perspective to see what's going on inside of us. So it's important not to judge your thoughts when your thoughts are judgmental. Okay, so let me say that again. It's important not to judge your thoughts when your thoughts are judgmental. And I see this a lot when I'm working with clients because we'll be having a discussion and I'll ask them a question and I know right away when they're starting to judge their thoughts because they're editing or they are giving caveats or they're saying things like, oh, well, but I know I shouldn't be thinking this, but, and we don't want to do that because... If you are judging the thoughts that you are judging, then what happens is you cannot heal from that. 
So if you find yourself making judgments about things, that's actually a good thing, okay? It might not seem like that, but it's actually a good thing because what that does is it helps you become aware of what's going on inside of your mind. We can't change anything unless we're aware of what that is first. So let me give you an example of this. I had a client who was really beating herself up for staying in the relationship too long. So she noticed the red flags, she realized that it was emotional abuse, but she had this guilt of leaving and she didn't want to break up the family and so she stayed for longer than she really wanted to. And when I asked her, you know, like, well, what are you thinking about when you're feeling this way about yourself? And she said, well, I really want to say that I'm so stupid for staying that long. And then she stopped herself and she said, but, but I know I'm not stupid. I have two degrees and I have a successful job and, you know, I, I am not stupid, right? So what happened there, so I'll give you just kind of the breakdown here is her initial belief was that I'm stupid, but she gave this sort of caveat that was saying, but I know I'm not stupid, right? So the thing about your mind is you have these two parts. You have this subconscious part, which runs 95% of the show, and you have a conscious part that only runs 5% of the show. So when she said, I'm stupid for staying so long, but, but, but I know I'm not stupid, the I'm stupid for staying, staying so long is the 95% that's running on autopilot in her subconscious mind. That's keeping her to continually beat herself up. And then when she gave the caveat, but I know I'm not stupid and I have two degrees and, you know, I have a successful job, right? That's her conscious brain. That's the 5%. But guess what? You can't win a battle with a 5% conscious and a 95% subconscious. The subconscious is going to win out every single time. So what we had to do is we had to go back to that original subconscious belief that I'm so stupid for staying so long. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying that you have to, you know, get into the negative self-talk instead of judging the judgments, because that's what she did here. She was judging her own self-judgments, right? So she knew consciously that it's not right to judge yourself and tell yourself that you're stupid, right? Because she's an intelligent person and she knows that that's typically not what people would tell you to do. But I'm not going to tell you to do that either. I'm just telling you not to judge the judgments, okay? Because if you're judging the judgments, you can't work with the subconscious mind. So when people work with me, I immediately stop them and I say, wait, 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 hold on. Let's go back. Let's go back to what you said first and let's inspect that, right? And we're not, I'm not doing that so that we can stay in this place of like beating yourself up when you say I'm so stupid for staying so long. But that's where in that part, we can make the shifts, Okay, that's where if I know what's going on in your subconscious mind, I can help you with the four step process to shift that so that you no longer have that running as your automatic. And a lot of people don't realize how important this is because we live in a world where we need to have positive thinking and we need to, you know, try to dwell on the positives and not the negatives. And I agree, right? That is important. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is your subconscious mind doesn't understand just basic words. It doesn't understand. Like if you if you looked at this subconscious belief and said, I'm so stupid for staying this long, but then you decided to be more positive and think more positively and said, I'm I'm so smart. I'm really smart, right? 
Well, your subconscious mind doesn't understand that. It doesn't get behind words. It needs to see proof. It needs to see stories. It needs to see things play out in your head like a movie. That's the language of your subconscious mind. So that's why a lot of people spend time in positive affirmations, which are great. But if you don't pair that with one specific examples um, that actually speak the language of the subconscious mind and two, emotion, like good positive emotion, like joy and gratitude and pride and love, then it doesn't make any changes inside of your brain. So that's where I come in because I know exactly how to do this for you. So if you're having a thought like I'm so stupid, then we run that through my four-step process and you start practicing it and you change the neural pathway. And what happens is now that thought I'm so stupid is released. And instead you have a new neural pathway in your brain that is your automatic so that when you are experiencing this thing that's happening or something comes up for you, you're not beating yourself up anymore because you've released it. Okay, so this is another really important piece to this that a lot of people forget about, and that's your intuition. And your radar can be off a lot after narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, because you don't trust yourself. And your intuition comes from a deep place of self-trust. So if you've been a person who over time has learned not to trust yourself and to trust the other person more, right, because they've gaslit you or they've made you doubt yourself so much and now all of a sudden they're the authority on your life and you are always going to them to see what you should do and how you should do it and, you know, where you should go and is this right and, you know, you are not trusting yourself and trusting your own intuition. So when you make these changes inside of yourself, when you go inside and do the inner healing, what happens is you straighten out that barometer. You um, are more able to align what's going on outside of you with what you feel like is the right thing, trusting yourself. Emotions are a part of the human experience, but emotions are feedback. Emotions are information. So I want you to think of your emotions like an alarm or a signal. So when you feel anything that's not just neutral, that's your clue to pay attention, okay? That's your clue. You have an emotion and you think, oh, wait, this is information. What, what information is this trying to tell me? No, it's not just trying to tell you that you're sad or you're angry. It's something more than that. It's something deeper. It's a belief because remember, the beliefs in your subconscious mind are what actually create the emotions because when your beliefs argue or are in misalignment with reality, that's when you suffer. That's when you get upset. That's when you get triggered. That's when you get angry. That's when you get sad. You feel guilty. You have regret or whatever that might be. Those subconscious beliefs are what create the emotions inside of you. So you might be asking, well, why is this so important? And the reason it's so important, especially when we're trying to repel a narcissist, is because if we show up in life with all the alarms going off all the time and all the emotions and we're in this roller coaster or we're in this emotional spiral guess what we can't hear our intuition all of that is just noise it is like explosions and fireworks and alarms going off everywhere how hard is it to think clearly 
if you were outside and there were fireworks going off and police cars and ambulance lights and people's car alarms going off, right? How hard is it to actually go inside of yourself and trust yourself and make clear-headed, clear-thinking decisions? It's hard. And so if you think of yourself in that way, it's really a benefit to you if you can get your emotions into a more neutral state so that you can think clearly, so that you can identify the red flags, so that you can protect yourself and set boundaries and say no, right? But the only way to get there is to silence those alarms, right? Or to at least turn the volume down a little bit on those alarms, right? We're not going to always get rid of them. We're human beings. Emotions are going to happen. That's the reality. But when you practice identifying when those alarms are happening, then you can say, okay, well, why specifically is this alarm going off? And how can I get it to stop, right? So if you are laying in bed and your alarm goes off to wake you up in the morning, you know why that alarm is going off. It's because you set the alarm to set at a certain time to wake you up in the morning, right? But if you didn't know why your alarm was going off, you would wake up in a panic. You didn't, you weren't expecting it. You didn't know what was happening. You just all of a sudden are just like in dreamland and your alarm starts blaring. You're like, whoa, what is happening right now? Right? You punch the alarm, you turn it off immediately. Right? And then you're like, what the heck happened? Why is my, why did my alarm go off? Did somebody set my alarm? Did I accidentally forget to turn one off from yesterday? Right? You're going to do a little bit of thinking. And it's the same thing with your subconscious mind. All you're doing here is hearing the alarm and saying, why is this alarm going off? What is it that I'm thinking in my subconscious mind that created this alarm? Okay, so I want to shift over to some of this narcissistic behavior, right? Because I don't know who's listening and um, how much you know about, you know, identifying the red flags and things like that. So when you're in a new relationship with someone, if they are fast moving, if they are love bombing you, professions of you know, undying love or soulmates, we need to be together, move in together really quickly, like whatever, like those are the kinds of things to look out for, right? And you can look this stuff up, you can find this stuff anywhere. So I'm not going to waste a lot of time telling you about this because I, what I think is the most important way to repel a narcissist is to love yourself first. And a lot of you are probably like putting your hand on your forehead, like, oh, please don't tell me that. Like I hear people say, love yourself. Like, how do I love myself? And this is so important, and here's why. Because if you can remove the need to be loved by other people outside of yourself by filling that gap with your own self-love, it doesn't matter what anyone else does that doesn't look like love to you because you will immediately say, no, that's not okay, right? Because you already are fulfilled. You already have that love inside of yourself. So it's way easier to repel a narcissist or anyone in your life who comes across unloving or harmful in any way because you already have that inside of you. And so if you're sitting here thinking, oh gosh, here we go, back to the self-love thing. Yes, we are going to go back to self-love thing. That is actually the number one thing, the very first step in my program. We are working on self-love because if you don't love yourself, then you're going to constantly be looking for that love from other people. And you will be giving excuses for their behavior. You will say, oh, well, they had a bad day. And, oh, yeah, that does seem narcissistic, but maybe it's just me. And, you know, it's not going to matter. If you love yourself, 
you'll be able to say, no, I'm not okay with that. Or I'm not going on a second date with you. Or you have toxic traits, so I'm going to remove myself from your life. So you see, when you fill yourself up with self-love, you don't need to get it from anybody else, right? Other people that show up in your life, right, are enhancing or adding to the already full you. You're already full. You're already fulfilled. So you don't need to get it from anywhere else. So a lot of people are like, well, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to love myself. And believe me, I get it because I used to be that same exact way. And then I realized that I do know how to love myself because I know how to love other people. So how do I love other people? How can I do those things for myself? Right? Well, guess what I was doing? I was putting everyone else first. Okay, well, what does that mean? That means I have to put me first. And it's not selfish to put yourself first. It is actually very, very smart. And it protects you. And if you are putting the mask on yourself first, when it comes down on the flight, you are more equipped to help the person next to you. And that's what they tell you. Put the mask on yourself first, right? Because guess what? If you put it on everybody else, then you're going to pass out. And you can't help anybody. Now you can't help anybody, right? So you have to put yourself first. Other things was, well, what, what do I want other people to do for me? And I thought about that too. And it was like, ooh, I would really like for people to talk nicely to me. That's what I really want. I just want people to be nice and talk to me nice. And guess what? I realized I wasn't talking nicely to myself. That was a problem, right? If I want other people to talk nicely to me, and I'm expecting them to do that, but I'm not doing it to myself, then I'm not loving myself. So it was all about looking at the things that I wanted other people to do for me, plus all of the things that I needed in order to feel loved to myself. When you love yourself, you're more confident in being able to set boundaries, to say no, to know what your needs are, right? Like, oh, hey, I need to remove myself from this situation because I'm really getting tired and I need to go take a nap or whatever, right? You are able to be authentic in what your needs are instead of putting everybody else before you, right? So if you're constantly doing those kinds of things without reflection, without thinking about it, and it's just on habit and on autopilot, then of course, that's going to be great for a narcissist. They're going to love that. They're going to want to be around you a whole lot because you're filling their bucket every single day, right? So the thing is, your responsibility is not to fill other people's buckets. It's to fill your bucket. And so if this happens continuously, then those kinds of people are going to want to be in your life. They're going to want to be around you a whole lot. They're going to want you to fill their bucket. So it's really vital for your emotional and mental well-being to be aware of these things, to start to work on those things, to develop self-love and self-confidence because that's what's actually going to repel a narcissist or a really toxic person. And that's why I created the seven-week online course, the I'm More the Immersion program. It's $50 and you get a ton of resources and a ton of information and guided 
uh, meditations and guided visualization exercises and tools and questions and homework to help you do this exact thing, to help you develop your self-worth. So if you're someone who's like, oh, I can't invest in the 12-week program right now, go out there and get that $50 program because you can do it on your own time. You can um, start to figure out what you value and what's important to you and start taking action to make these changes inside of yourself. Okay, so another thing I wanted to address is fear and anxiety because I know this is something that I really struggled with and a lot of my clients struggle with and that you might be struggling with also. So fear and anxiety is basically there to keep you safe. Okay, so your brain and the um, your automatic nervous system jumps up, gives you this emotion of fear to keep you safe because it remembers something from the past and it's trying to tell you and warn you, like, be careful, like, this is, this can hurt you or this could be dangerous. So fear and anxiety aren't necessarily a bad thing. Again, emotions are just feedback. So when we are dealing with fear and anxiety, that's the thing we don't want to be feeling because we're like, oh, like I understand that this isn't actually like a real fear. For a lot of people, it's just sort of a kind of a baseline, right? We're just constantly on eggshells or we're constantly feeling anxiety and worry about what other people are thinking or how things are going to play out or what's going to happen in the future. So what's really important about fear and anxiety, one, is that it's a, it's an alarm or it's a little signal to let you know that something's not right in your thoughts. So what you can do here is, again, start figuring out what the source of that fear and anxiety is instead of what's going on outside of you, right? Well, I'm afraid because of my ex or I'm afraid because of, no. What I'm talking about is what are you making it mean, right? So we have to get deeper. It's like an onion, Okay, so one layer at a time. So when we experience an emotion of fear, right, it can be real. It can be a real fear, right? If you're out walking late at night and somebody's following you, that's a real fear, right? It could be totally harmless, but we need to pay attention to these things so that we are safe. So it's the same thing when you have a situation in your life that maybe you have a real fear, like I'm going to be taken back to court, That's a real fear. Like, I have to walk on eggshells. I have to say everything the right way. I have to craft my emails a certain type of way or I'm going to be hurt or I'm going to have something bad happen to me, okay? But the reality is we don't know what's going to happen. We can't know what's going to happen. We can take past events and predict the future and that's what a lot of times that we do. However, If we want to be out of the fear and we want to be empowered and we don't want to be feeling scared every single second of our day, then that's where we take whatever that emotion is and we back up and we say, okay, what specifically am I believing? And remember, a belief is only a thought. It's only a thought that is not 100% true for 100% of people 100% of the time. A belief is not a fact. It's just something you believe right? And I would never tell people not to believe something, right? You wouldn't say like, oh, my ex isn't going to take me to court because you truly know his pattern. You know that that's what he's going to do. But what are you making it mean that he's going to take you to court? Are you making it mean that you can't protect yourself? Are you making it mean that you are going to spiral out of control emotionally? Are you making it mean that life is going to be so impossible to deal with? 
right? So you see where it's not just about what the reality of it is, right? Because he may take you to court. It's about what you're making it mean. That is where we work in the subconscious mind to shift that so that you can actually start feeling empowered, right? Because I can protect myself. Let me show my mind times that I have. Oh yeah, I remember when I escaped the abuse, I protect myself, right? So we're showing our mind the specific instances, the stories, the examples that prove something else, right? Instead of allowing these repetitive thought patterns to continue over and over in your mind that keep creating these emotions like fear and anxiety. And you can do all kinds of like coping things, right? Meditation, relaxation, visualization, um, yoga, breath work, all these things are great, right? And they will a lot of times help you decrease your anxiety. But guess what? If those thoughts are still running in the background on your subconscious mind, the next time something happens, you're going to jump right back to fear and anxiety. That's going to be your automatic because it's still in your subconscious. So the only way to truly stop that from happening is to rewire what's going on in your brain. The subconscious neuropathways that are repeating over and over and over. All that other stuff is great and it's helpful, but it works so much better when you actually get to the source, which is your subconscious mind. I recently had a client who was feeling this fear and anxiety. What if the next person's a narcissist? What if they um, are love bombing me and I don't see it? What if they are doing things that um, I just permit or allow and it's really abuse and I didn't know it, right? So the thing here is we're trying to repel the people that we don't want to come into our lives. But like I said before, it has to start inside of you. It has to be you developing and filling up your own bucket, becoming your own best advocate, loving yourself more than anything else, right? A lot of people might be like, oh, well, I love my kids. That's great. You can love your kids, right? I'm not saying you have to um, divide it all up. You can, it's like when you have a baby, right? If you've ever had a child, I remember the first time I had my child and I just loved her so much. And then when I had my second child, I was afraid that I was going to have to divide the love up. But it's like you get two buckets, right? They're totally full. It's the same thing with yourself, right? You just fill up your own bucket, right? And you can still love other people. That's not a question. You can still fill up love in other buckets. But you have to fill up your bucket. You can't just fill everyone else's bucket and not your own. So that's what we did. We started filling up my client's bucket so that she was feeling so confident that she would be able to identify, right? So not feeling stupid, feeling really capable. Like I know exactly what a narcissist looks like because I've dealt with one. And so then she could say, oh no, I don't actually like that trait in that person. I'm not going to go on a date with them. Or I'm not going to entertain a conversation with somebody who is continually telling me how amazing I am and wonderful and they've not even met me but one time right? So building that up for herself was actually the thing that was able to repel the narcissist, right? So we kind of sometimes get this backwards and we think we have to like do all the things outside of ourselves. Really, we always just need to bring it back to what's going on inside of ourselves. Let's fix the things that we feel like might be um, needing some adjustment or help or, you know, fill it up, whatever, however you want to say that right? Let's do that first. That is where 
when we show up around other people, then we are bringing our very best selves. That's not going to be attractive to people who want to hurt us. It's going to repel them. Now, I do want to address one thing because there might be some of you out there who are saying, well, yeah, but when I met the person who I was abused by, the narcissist in my life, I was really confident and I was really secure and I still was abused and I was still hurt. So how is this actually going to repel? So here's the thing. We've been talking about, well, I didn't really go into it in great detail, but all the things to look out for in a narcissist and the red flags and the behaviors and that sort of thing, right? But what else you have to do is you have to know what a healthy relationship looks like. This is just as important. If you haven't been modeled a healthy relationship by your parents or by other people, then you don't know how to see the contrast. So let's look at, is there mutual respect? Is there trust? Can you communicate well without getting into arguments that are, you know, escalating and angry and accusatory, right? Are you committed? Are you kind? You know, are you supporting each other? That this part is just as important as knowing the negatives. Like I know what a negative relationship is. I know what an unhealthy relationship looks like. But to make sure that you actually have a really clear picture, you got to know what a healthy relationship looks like too. And that's why this is so important. Because if you are always looking out for red flags and this and that and all those things, right, you're missing a huge piece. You're missing the part about what a healthy relationship looks like. And for many of us, even though we are very confident, we may have never been modeled a healthy relationship by our parents to see what that actually looks like. This is exactly what happened to me because I had a very, very confident and very secure sense of self when I met my ex when I was 19 years old. However, I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. I wasn't modeled those kinds of things. My parents, when they got into arguments, I never knew about it, right? So I just thought, oh, when, when there's nothing happening bad, that must mean it's good. Well, then I'm in a relationship with a covert or someone who I think is a covert narcissist and there was no yelling and there was no um, like name calling. Like, so that must be, mean that's a healthy relationship. It wasn't, right? So you got to know what a healthy relationship looks like just as much as what an unhealthy one looks like. Okay, so let's just recap this really quickly. Number one is self-awareness, being aware of what's going on in your mind. Put that stuff on paper, talk to a therapist, do whatever you can do besides just letting it swirl around in your head where we end up just overthinking things. Number two is know the signs of a narcissist. That's important, right? Love bombing, what these things, what these toxic behaviors look like. That's really important, which probably a lot of you already know. The third thing is to develop a really strong sense of self, self-love, self-confidence. All that stuff is going to be really important. Um, getting to your subconscious mind, right? Figuring out what those emotional um, things are that are coming up that are those alarms, like I said. And what is beneath that alarm? What is creating that alarm? What are the things that you're thinking about? And also understanding what healthy relationships actually look like right because we can't just put all of our focus on what to avoid right 
What do we want? What is good? What is healthy? What is good for us? That's important too. If we don't know these things, that's what we need to start defining and making sure that we're getting really clear on. And this is going to set you up for truly repelling a narcissist. So I hope this episode has been helpful to you. And as always, if you have any questions or any suggestions for the podcast, please do reach out to me and let me know. Don't forget, you can sign up for my um, online seven-week um, self-worth course that's called the I'm Worthy Immersion Program. I'll link it down below in the show notes, or you can grab it from my website at whentearsleavescars.com. And if you ever want to work with me one-on-one in my 12-week coaching program, just send me a message and I will set up a link for us to chat. Thanks so much for being here. Talk to you next week. And remember, this month is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So keep spreading the word, keep getting the information out there, and um, take care of yourselves. Thank you for being here with me today in the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast. I hope you found value here with me. If this podcast episode was helpful to you, I'd love for you to hit subscribe and leave me a review. My goal is to help you go from feeling stuck to set free. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, and you can check out whentearsleavescars.com for more resources and information to help you with your own emotional abuse recovery. Until next time, here's to believing in